Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. I want to take a second and uh, properly honor Pastor Stacy Capaldi. Hold on, hold on. We're going to clap really hard and really loud in just one second. But um, Stacy, Katie and I want to tell you from us just what a gift it is to have you in our campus. And I know for uh, you've been there for um, our entire journey. Um, you know, being here, really growing up in faith in the church, but really there when we took over as the campus pastor of this place. And we can't imagine having to have navigated what we've had to navigate without Stacy. To be honest, it's a little frustrating because Katie and I will be like, oh my gosh, we situation, we don't really know what to do. And we'll ask Stacy and she's like, yeah, you just do this, say that and then do that. And we're like, oh yeah, that makes really good sense, thank you. And um, just the wisdom that she carries and um, the responsibility she carries for our church. You know, she's one of the uh, handful of executives uh, at our church that um, make a lot of really, really, really big decisions. And it's a little embarrassing because if you look at Stacy's org chart and then like other org charts of the other executives, it's like Stacy's is like five times longer than everybody. It's true. Don't shake your head like it's not true. It's true. And it's because she has an unbelievable capacity. She's a phenomenal leader. But I think the most beautiful thing is that in spite of all of that, all the responsibility, all of the weight, all of the, that, um, that Stacy, you're still so soft-hearted. You love people. You're a great minister. You're a great pastor. So we want to honor you. We've got some flowers for you. And Katie and I just wanted to say thank you and happy birthday for all of you done for us. Can we just stretch our hands out towards Pastor Stacy? Come on, let's pray her into this year. It's going to be the best year yet. God, we thank you for beautiful Pastor Stacy. Where would we be without Pastor Stacy? We thank you for such a gift that you've given to us. And God, I just declare right now, Psalm 37, 4, that if she continues to delight herself in you, you will give her the desires of her heart. And we declare that in this next year, it's going to be the best one yet, that she's gonna look back when she gets to her next birthday and we're giving her flowers on her next birthday. And she's gonna say, I cannot believe the grace and the favor and the joy that has befallen me. And, and God, we just pray, um, God, that we, that, that even Katie and I would, would steward her well and would always be so appreciative of the precious gift that you have given us and Pastor Stacy Capaldi. We pray it all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We love you. Happy birthday, Pastor Stacy. Happy birthday, Awaken Church. 18 years. Can you believe it? Our church is now a legal adult, 18 years old. Uh, our church can now drink in TJ, which is cool. Can buy cigarettes, can vote, can join the military. All kinds of exciting things you can do when you're 18 years old. It's awesome. You guys, yeah, you're, you can go. Sorry. And you guys can grab a seat. So good to be with you guys. Um, so great having the Capaldi family with us. We love you guys so much. So awesome. Um, I'm proud of you guys for braving the torrential, violent storm. You're here, and I'm just so proud. And listen, y'all, I'm from Texas where there's actual rain, like real rain um, and real storms. And uh, it's kind of sad because our 
kids, like they're, they're native San Diegans and they're, um, I hate to say it, they're a little soft. I'm like, I need to send you to like the middle of the country for a, a summer or something. I'm not sure. And we were driving to church and my son Zeke was like, dad, it's raining so hard. And I was like, no, it's not. It's, no, it's not. I remember when we first moved here, um, it was kind of a similar thing. It was 10 years ago um, or 12 years ago. We moved here and um, the, the similar thing, there was unprecedented storms, you know, and we remember watching the news and it was so crazy because it was like, you know, the beat reporter out in the streets with the poncho and she's like, you know, Jill, can you hear us? And, you know, yes, Brian, I'm out here braving the torrential storms and literally the camera pans down and she says, we have puddles accumulating in the streets of Los Angeles and the camera pans down to a puddle in the street. And Katie and I were like, oh my gosh. Anyway, so it might rain a little bit harder later on, but who knows that God's gonna protect us, gonna see us through the storm. We're gonna brave Hurricane Hillary in Jesus' name. I tell my kids when it's raining, I, I say that it's, it's actually God's tears coming down from heaven. And when they say, well, why is God crying? I tell them it's probably because of something you did. No, I'm just kidding. I don't say that. That was a joke. I would never say that. I would never say that. But um, I'm excited to, uh, to, to share this word today. You know, I feel so blessed on our church's 18th birthday to be able to, to deliver the, the, the word because um, this platform, this, this pulpit, this church, this campus, this movement that we're a part of, um, I have to remind myself sometimes that 18 years ago, a husband and a wife um, with three little boys sold everything, left all they knew, took out a $100,000 mortgage on their house, moved to this country, a foreign nation, as missionaries in a foreign field. And they just, on a word from God, started a church. And had no, it wasn't like there was some safety net. There wasn't some, you know, like anything here that, that if things didn't work out, like they came all the way here just like on a word from God, believing it was gonna work. And they started in a Marriott, which you saw pictures of in the, in the video 18 years ago, the very first Sunday, 18 years ago today. And you know, whatever, 20, 25 people showed up. And here we are 18 years later with eight, almost nine campuses in three states with 10,000 people that come through the doors of our church every single week. So can we just honor pastors Jurgen and Leanne, two of the greatest leaders in the world, so honored to be able to build the kingdom of heaven alongside them. It's amazing. And I, one of the things I love the most about Pastors Jurgen and Land is they, they have like a David, a King David spirit. King David was the greatest king in the history of Israel, and he was a fighter. He was a warrior. He was, would defend Israel from, from enemies. He would go out and take new territory, but he was also a tender-hearted man who wrote the Psalms and was a man after God's own heart. And we serve pastors that have that David anointing. And, you know, we find ourselves, if you haven't noticed, hopefully this isn't a surprise to you, the last few years, if you're a Christian, have been just different, I feel like. And, and listen, I hate to break it to you, just the reality of being a believer is that you are always gonna be at war. That's just part of it, okay? It's part of it. Always gonna be in a battle. This side of heaven, we're gonna be in a battle. That's why Paul says, take up the armor of God and gives all these proverbial pieces of armor because you're gonna need it because you're in a battle. You're gonna be in a battle the rest of your life. 
but there are seasons that it just kind of feels like for whatever reason, the battle kind of ramps up a little bit and seasons where there is a little bit of, of a Selah moment. And, and I feel like the past three years for, you know, not just for Awakened Church, but for the church, for the American church, for the, the global church has been a season of just of a little bit more intense warfare than, than usual. And, and listen, I'm not in the military, never been in the military, never seen combat or anything like that, but there's um, a syndrome called... Um, Combat stress reaction, CSR, and the, the sort of the uh, colloquial term is to be shell-shocked. You ever heard that? Oh my gosh, I'm so shell-shocked. And the actual medical term is combat stress reaction, where soldiers in battle can, because of an artillery shell or some kind of an ordinance or um, all of the, the overstimulation of the sounds and all the crazy things, can actually become very behaviorally disorganized and disoriented and, and all of a sudden lose track of where they are and what's going on. And, and I think there's a lot of Christians who have found themselves kind of shell-shocked by all of the, the warfare that's been going on. And, and, but I look at the life of David and I see a man that somehow was able to live a life of constant warfare, being at battle, taking on Goliath, taking on enemies, conquering new lands and expanding the kingdom of Israel, but somehow was always close to God, always seemed oriented, always seemed organized. Always, not to say he didn't have highs and lows, just go read the Psalms, okay? David is like the most emotional person of all time. I relate a lot with David, okay? Katie is just some days, like it's a Monday and I'm like, Lord, why have you forsaken me? And then on Tuesday, I'm like, praise the Lord, he is holy and God is awesome, okay? And and you know, I, I feel like I'm like David and, and David makes it okay to be like that. So I'm thankful for David, okay? So not to say he didn't have some highs and lows, but somehow throughout the course of his life, he could have been, at, he was at war all the time and somehow always had this, this um, organization about him, an orientation where he was put together, knew who his God was, was able to strengthen himself in the Lord. And I believe it's because of how he viewed God. And so I wanna read one of David's most famous writings and it's Psalm 23. And if you've, even if you're not a believer, never, never been in church, you've heard parts of this guaranteed. It's one of the most famous passages of scripture of all time. And I wanna do something a little different that we don't normally do. I actually want us all to stand up and I wanna read this together out loud as just a, a symbol of honor for the word of God. And, and not to say this is like more special than any other passage of scripture or anything like that, that's not it. But I just wanna take some time out of reverence for God's word and I wanna read Psalm 23 together. It's gonna to be on the screen behind me so we don't have to deal with any translation weirdness. We're gonna read out of the New King James Version so we all say the same word. Here we go. Psalm 23, starting in verse one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen, amen. Grab a seat. So beautiful, Psalm 23. And I, I love that, that out of all the things you could call God, you know, we call him king and judge and creator and warrior and all these things. When David tries to encompass God in one single, you know, um, image, all he can think of, the thing that describes God the best, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, as a shepherd. And David knew shepherding very well. He was a shepherd. 
And so when he looked at what it, what it meant to be a shepherd, he said, this is what God is like. And I wanna pull out um, a handful of just of promises that we can lean on in, in times of great warfare and struggle and discouragement and all those things. That, and I believe that it's the key to living a life that is not shell-shocked by the warfare around you. I believe that it's a way that you can be sustained in times of great tragedy and discouragement and the highs and the lows and the valleys and the mountaintops and all that. So the very first one, point number one, is provision. Provision. King David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The NIV translation says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Um, shepherding is not really a modern occupation in San Diego, okay? There's not a lot, if any, I don't know, there's a single shepherd anywhere in San Diego at all. So, you know, you don't just, I don't, I don't, I didn't know a lot about shepherding. I didn't know a lot about sheep. I had to do a little bit of research. I feel now like I'm an expert on shepherding and may change vocations because I am such an expert in all of my research. One thing I learned is that sheep never eat lying down, ever. Sheep always eat standing up. They will also never lie down if they have the slightest sense that there is a predator anywhere around them. So for King David to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. It must mean that he's well fed, that he is confident that there is no predators, no danger around him. And so what the implication is from King David is that when the Lord is your shepherd, there's provision, that he takes care of your physical needs, what you're gonna eat, you know, what you're gonna wear, all of those things, your physical needs, God provides for you. There is provision when you view him as your shepherd. Katie and I have also been to Israel and, and it was amazing. We actually got to walk on the shepherd fields of Bethlehem in Israel. So like where David was a shepherd when he was a little boy, like Katie and I have been there. It was crazy walking the same hills. And listen, it's not green pastures. It's actually pretty ugly, if I was honest. It's just like hills and dead grass and like some boulders and some rocks, a couple patches of green every now and again. It's not like the beautiful flowing meadows of grass everywhere. So for King David to say that God leads me as a shepherd to green pastures. It must, you see the care and the attention that, that the shepherd takes the time to irrigate and make sure that there's provision and sustenance for you. It's a beautiful image of God's provision for us. He is your provider. He makes you lie down in green pastures. And it's crazy, um, you know, you guys hear uh, Katie and I's story a lot. And I'm just gonna be honest with you, you're gonna hear it like a bunch forever, because it's the only story I've got, okay? I don't have anybody, I, I only have my story, okay? So I'm just gonna keep telling the same story over and over again forever, and that's just how it's gonna be. So a lot of you know that we moved here from Dallas, Texas, um, so that I could go to graduate school, had no intention of being a pastor, no intention of, really, I didn't even have any intention in going to a church, okay? My wife had other plans, and here we are, you know, 12 years later, whatever. But um, 
we came here so that I could go to graduate school and um, my plans was to, was to be an engineer and I wanted to be a, a bridge engineer, a design engineer. And so I was um, getting my master's in structural engineering at UCSD. And um, many of you know the crazy story about how I got my first internship. It was right after I tithed for the very, very first time and we were in huge financial distress. And then this opportunity came where I was a, an intern in a, a lab with a bunch of PhD students. And I was supposed to show up and like help them. I was to be their, you know, their little errand boy and do whatever they needed and help them solve problems. And, and I was excited about it because I got to, I was going to be able to be around all these really smart PhD candidates and learn from them. And, and I was super pumped. And so I get in there for my first day and the main guy says, Hey, do you know anything about designing websites? I'm like, no, what do you, what do you mean? I'm, I'm here like for engineering stuff. And he was like, yeah, I know, but, um, our research group doesn't have a website. We kind of really feel like we need one, you know, you're on the payroll can you just take a few months, just kind of try to figure it out? And I was super frustrated because, again, I, that's not why I was there. But I was like, okay, yeah, sure, you know. And so I just spent some time, again, just getting paid, and it was awesome, and just figured, figured out how to, to do some web design work. And then that turned into this crazy freelance career for me where um, even to this day, 80% of my income is made up from freelance consulting gigs like that. And so I was just, but I remember this, these moments of talking to Katie and then, you know, at this, all the while we're here at the church and just kind of starting to get plugged in and starting to lead a little bit and maybe even starting to do a little bit of communicating and, and that, you know, beginning, that skill beginning to be developed and unlocked. And I was just like, there'd be moments of, of desperation with my wife where I would sit down and be like, Katie, what the heck are we doing? Like, I came here to be an engineer. I'm doing, like, weird creative stuff on the side, and then we're doing this, like, kind of ministry thing that we're stepping into. This makes no sense. The pieces don't fit. And I would, I would have these moments of, like, I don't see it. I don't see how it all fits together. I don't see, you know, Katie's dad, um, Jim, was in the first service, and he's, uh, you know, Commander Jim Ward. Psycho is his call sign. He was an F-18 pilot. He was a Top Gun instructor. And I love him to death. And now that he's not in here, I can say it a little more forward than I did last week. He frustrates the heck out of me because he, like when he was five years old, he saw a jet in the sky and was like, I want to do that. And then did it. So literally like his whole life, he was like, I'm going to be a fighter pilot. Did it. Had a 20-year career, you know, commander, psycho ward, top gun instructor. And you know, good for him. Like, that's like makes up about 0.01% of the whole population. The rest of us are just kind of figuring it out as we go. And I know, I wish I could tell you, you may be, it, it may shock you to know that I don't know what I'm doing, okay? We're really just figuring it out as we go, like the rest of you, okay? And that's just how it's been. And our entire career, our life has been just kind of saying yes to God and just trusting that as we go forward, he can do that as we, as we need, you know? And it's been a lot, of, a lot of that, and to go this way and then, and then that way. And that's just been, been life for us. But here's the crazy thing is all these years later, we look back at, you know, why God did the thing. You know, the expression hindsight's twenty twenty, but it's like, it's true. Like when you, in the moment, you're like, this makes no sense, I understand. But then when you look back, you can see the hand of God, his providence leading you in areas. And now, like some of the, the things I'm doing in business, I see how all three of the different weird facets of my, my career journey have all come together to, to work in synergy. And I see God beginning to, to, to kind of paint this picture in, in where we're headed as a family. And it's, I see in God 
this shepherd that provides for us, that in, in moments where it doesn't make any sense and you don't, it doesn't, I don't, I'm not seeing why I'm going this way instead of that way, and you have to lean into him and trust that he is your shepherd, that you will lack nothing when he is your shepherd, that he will make you lie down in green pastures. Can somebody say amen? amen. Provision. Number two, refreshment. Verse three says, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He restores my soul. And that's actually important. Most people think that your soul is, you know, the part of you that lives forever, and it's not true. The, the Bible teaches that we're tripartite beings. We're three-part beings, and we're made up of body, soul, and spirit. We know this because in Genesis 2, when God um, makes Adam, it says in Genesis 2, 7, then the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. See, three things. Also in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When God formed Adam from the dust of the ground, that was his physicality, his body. Then it says that he breathed into him the breath of life. And anytime you see breath or wind, it represents God's spirit. God actually breathed his spirit, which is the eternal part of you, into man. And then it says, and then Adam became a living being. And your living beingness, you are a human being. You're not a human doing. There's, a, there's, there's things about you, your character, your psyche, your, and that's what your soul is. It's who you are as a person. What makes you uniquely you? And we, we know that intuitively. Like if, you know, when Erica is up here singing, you, you would say after she sang, wow, she put so much soul into that song. And what we mean when we say that is she put herself into it. The, the essence of, of who she is, she put into the singing of that song. You, and we say that, man, that had so much soul. So your soul is your emotions, your psyche, what makes you, you. And I love it because when it says, when King David says, he, talking about God, the good shepherd, he restores my soul I love that because, you know, it's not like, we think of it as like this eternal big picture, you know, heaven stuff, and that's not it. He literally is saying, and God restores my emotions. He restores my, my psyche. And it's so like, it's, it's very here and now. Like when you're having a bad day, he restores your soul. When you're frustrated at your kids, he restores your soul, okay? And I, I love that, that God is interested in your day-to-day -day emotions. God is interested in the day-to-day -day frustrations, the day, and, and if you allow him, if you view him as your shepherd, he will restore your soul. If you find yourself, and listen, I don't wanna, you know, like life is, life is hard. Like there's, there's ups and downs, there's mountaintops and there's valleys, of course. But if you find yourself in a prolonged season of emotional discouragement and feeling emotionally drained, that's not from God, okay? The Bible says, as your good shepherd, that he will restore your soul. And again, not to beat you down, I mean, if you find yourself in a, in a, in a season of prolonged emotional discouragement and just feeling like the weight of the world is on your shoulders and gosh, why can't it, da, 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 da. I'm not trying to, you know, whip you over the back and make it punitive and say, come on, you know, snap out of it. I'm just telling you that should be a litmus test of like, okay, there's something a little incongruent because the Bible says that on a daily basis, he restores my soul. If you let him, he will come in and he will restore your soul. And then it says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. 
He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And so the next one, number three, is assurance. And we don't, um, there's no new information. He leads me in paths of righteousness, but then we get the motivation for why God does the things he does. And it's for his name's sake, for the sake of his own name, which is a little, it seems a little selfish because I mean, this whole thing so far has been about us. It's been about him, like us lying down in the green pastures, us being by the still waters, us having all the provision and all those things. But then all of a sudden God says, it's actually all about me. The reason I'm doing all of it is for my namesake. And so why, what does that mean? And it's because you have to kind of go all the way back to a very bizarre story um, in Genesis chapter 15, where Abram, a man named Abram, and again, I don't wanna unpack you know, all of the history of the nation of Israel, but just there was a man named Abram that God visited and said, hey, I'm gonna, you're gonna be the first one. You are Hebrew patient zero. I'm starting with you and we're gonna make an entire nation out of people. You don't have a son, but your, your wife's gonna become pregnant. He's gonna be your heir and you're gonna become this great massive nation. So Abram says, how can I know that all this will, will happen? And so God does something really, really weird in Genesis chapter 15. He says, okay, here's how you're gonna know. I want you to go get some animals, some, you know, I don't know, it's like a couple of doves and some sheep and a bull and an oxen or whatever. And then he says, I want you to cut them in two, very gruesome, and I want you to make an aisle way, like a pathway with one half of the animal on one side and the other half on the other side. It's really gross. And so Abram's like, okay, sh- sure. And so Abram does it, goes and gets all the animals and, and cuts them in two and splits them up and makes this kind of pathway. And then Abram would have figured out what was happening. He would have known what God was doing. You see, in the old, see, in our day, if we're gonna enter into an agreement, we sign a contract, right? Lawyers draft up something and then we sign our name. And you know, and I get it in principle, you're kind of saying I'm putting my name on this and my name is who I am and you know, and so that's, it's meant to be serious. You know, I'm, I mean what I say when I sign my name. It was way more serious in Abram's day. When they would enter into an agreement, it wasn't a contract, it was something called a covenant. And there would be a, a covenantal ceremony. And the way the ceremony would work is if Sal and I were gonna enter into a covenant agreement, that we were gonna have our backs no matter what, we would have this covenant ceremony and we would do this with the animals. We'd cut up these animals into two pieces, split them up, and then I would walk through the aisle and then Sal would walk through the aisle. And what that says is I'm so committed to keeping my end of the bargain that if I don't, may I become as these animals are ripped in two. So it was like no joke. It's not just signing your name. You're literally saying may I be ripped in two if I don't hold up my end of the bargain. So Abram's doing all this and he starts to realize like, oh, okay, I know what we're doing here. I get it. We're entering into a covenant, me and God. Then something really crazy happens. God makes Abram fall asleep. And then God, in the form of this smoking fire pot, the Bible says. I don't know what that is. What is a smoking fire pot? I'm not sure. This column of smoke passes through the pieces and passes back. What was happening was God was saying, Abram, I know that you're not gonna keep your end of the bargain. And the bargain was that you will be my people and I will be your God. That you will serve me and worship me and I will bless you and make you a great nation. But God knew that there was no way that we were gonna keep our end of the bargain, that Abram was not gonna be able to keep his end of the deal. And so God says, I'm gonna put you into a deep sleep and I'm gonna be the only one that passes through. And so what God says is, even if you don't hold up your end of the bargain, I'm gonna hold up my end of the bargain. That's what God was doing in Genesis chapter 15, establishing a covenant that says, 
Even though I know you're not gonna keep your end, I'm gonna keep my end. Because God's name is so precious, so valuable, that he cannot, he cannot lie, he cannot break a promise because he cannot devalue his own name. So actually when you realize that he leads you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, you realize it's not God being selfish, it's actually God putting you on the most solid foundation that can ever be. Every promise that God has ever made, pick one of 50 million in Romans 10, 9, where it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. That's a promise. You can take it to the bank. You can take it to the bank that if you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, God has raised him from the dead, then you are saved. Your, your salvation, your eternity is secure because God cannot break a promise. It would devalue who he is. And he says, no matter what, even if you don't hold up your end of the bargain, I always hold up my end. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And then the part that everybody knows, read at almost every single funeral, everyone that I've ever been to, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Assurance that no matter what, and listen, I wish that, I, I, I wish that it was different. I wish it said, and you keep me from the valley of the shadow of death. I wish it would say, and you transport me like that to the other side. But it doesn't. It says, yea, though I walk through it, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And that's the promise of Christianity. That's the promise that no matter what you face and you will face it, you will. Psalm 91 says, I will be with you in the day of trouble. I, there's no other way to read that except God saying the day of trouble is coming. You will face days of trouble, but I will be with you and that will be enough. I will be with you and that will be enough. Years ago, um, and I say this really humbly because I know there's many of you in here that have actually walked through very, very real medical situations and very scary diagnoses. And you know, I'm still a young man and have been blessed with um, overall really, really good health. But there was... Um, and I have to tell you, this happened after I ate a hot dog at an Emerge night. I will say, I'm still bitter about that. But I had my hot dog at the Emerge night, and I woke up at 2 in the morning and kind of was like, ugh, I don't feel right. And so, you know, I kind of tried to write it out for a little bit. You never wake your wife when she's sleeping, you know, so I'm just kind of like. But then I just kind of like couldn't go back to sleep, didn't feel right. And so finally I kind of wake up Katie, and I'm like, hey, babe, like, I'm not feeling super good, you know. And she's like, you probably just need to go to the bathroom. You're fine. I'm like, no, babe, listen, I'm a grown man. I know what needing to go to the bathroom feels like. I know. I'm telling you, this isn't that. So she's like, okay, well, let's just kind of wait for a little bit. And so we wait for a little bit. And then I made the mistake that you don't ever, as your pastor, don't ever Google your symptoms, ever. Don't WebMD anything. You, WebMD is from the devil, okay? You Google anything, you're like, my ankle hurts and you have ankle cancer. Stage four ankle cancer, you're in trouble. You got two months to live. You don't, don't Google stuff, okay? But I Googled, and you know, of course, I'm about to die from 9,000 things because of my abdominal pain. And, um, but I kind of, you know, started to figure out maybe it was, could have been appendicitis maybe. And you know, it can be, you know, modern medicine's amazing. Like if I was on the Oregon Trail, I probably would have died. But thankfully, I live now and we've got procedures. And so I assume that's what it was. So I go into the emergency room and, you know, they do the, the MRI or whatever. And 
Um, and then we're, they wheel me back and I'm just kind of laying there in the bed and, and there's about 40 minutes where I'm just waiting on them to come back and give me the results. And, um, and again, I say this really humbly because I know there are, there are many of you in here that have, have dealt with very, very real medical things. But for me, there was just a moment of like of 40 minutes where the doctor went away and, and actually Katie wasn't there. She was still taking care of the kids and trying to run around and do some things. So there was 40 minutes where, where it was just me and I was alone with my thoughts. And I remember like, what if the doctor comes back and says it's something really bad? A lot of people have had that happen where doctors come and they're young and says, well, hey, we found something that's pretty serious. And, and, and there was, again, a, a moment of like, what if this is like something very, very serious? And I just had this beautiful um, moment of realizing that no matter what, it doesn't matter because he's with me. He's with me doesn't matter. There was a man named Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer, two men that were, um, were branded as heretics and, and burned at the stake, um, you know, hundreds of years ago um, for, for standing up for what the, the, the truth of the gospel actually was. They weren't heretics. They actually stood up for what the Bible said. And because of that, were branded as heretics and were condemned to be burned alive at the stake. And I can't think of a worse way to go than that. It's so crazy, the account of their death is they're being tied up, about to die. And Hugh Latimer says to Nicholas Ridley, be of good cheer, my good friend, for I believe that this day in England, a, a light is gonna begin that will never be snuffed out. And I just think about that and I'm like, gosh, how, how can you be standing there minutes away from agony and say, be of good cheer? I believe a revival is about to start in England because of our actions that will never be snuffed out. And there's story after story of, of Christian martyrs over the years that have faced, there's a man named Dietrich um, Bonhoeffer. Anybody know the German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer? He was um, a pastor during World War II Germany and as a, a German citizen began to see what his German government was doing and finally said, this is not right. And so as a pastor, he um, joined a movement to overthrow Hitler, to subvert his government. I know it's crazy. And he um, ended up uh, to, to assassinate Hitler. He was part of a plot to assassinate Hitler and was caught and ended up being condemned to die. And he was hanged at the gallows. And there's an account of Dietrich Bonhoeffer approaching the gallows to be hanged. And um, the, there was a, a German officer that was watching the whole thing and, and wrote down in his journal what he saw. And he said that Dietrich Bonhoeffer walked up to the gallows, asked the guard, hey, do you mind if I pray one more time? And the guard said, yeah, sure. And so Dietrich Bonhoeffer got down on his knees in front of the gallows. He prayed for 30 seconds. He stood back up and was hanged. And the German officer wrote, I've never seen a man die more dignified. And again, I just think like, as believers, like we can face unbelievable trials and tribulations and struggles and discouragement if you know that he is with you, that that's the promise, that no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're facing, he is with you. That's the promise, the withness of God, that he is with you all the days of your life. And it's beautiful because in the Psalm, the psalm switches. The whole first part of the psalm is all in third person. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Then out of nowhere, it says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And it's amazing because it's, it's all, the, all the stuff at the beginning is all good. You know, lying down in the green pastures, the still waters. But then when it gets serious, 
David doesn't say he anymore. David says you. And it's a personal conversation because in the, in the depths of despair, in the toughest moments of our life, God is with us. Assurance. Somebody say amen. Come on. Number four, protection. It says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my, my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. The, the rod and the staff that a shepherd would carry were to fend off, you know, wild animals, but also to correct the sheep. You know, I try not to be insulted because God calls us all sheep and sheep are, they're, they're dumb. They really are. They're not very smart animals. Sheep literally, so you know when David says, uh, why are you downcast, my soul? So what he's talking about is sheep. A sheep can become something that's called cast. And it's a, an old English term that we don't really use, but it's true. Sheep, if they, they're like turtles, is a true story. Sheep, if they fall over and get onto their back, they can't right themselves. They're literally like turtles. So if a sheep falls over and ends up rolling onto its back, it's dead. It, it will lay there and then actually the, the gases from its intestines will bubble up and it'll end up dying from sepsis. So when David says, why are you downcast my soul? He's actually talking to himself like he's laying there flailing like a turtle. Like that's sheep literally like, how helpless of an animal do you have to be when you can't even roll over? That's what God compares us to, is sheep. So thanks a lot, Lord. But I love it that he protects us. We don't need to protect ourselves. He protects us. And a lot of times that protection comes in the form of correction. Don't go over there. And, you know, the shepherd will bop the sheep on the head and say, hey, that's a dangerous place. Don't go there. And it's being corrected, whether it's by, listen, and 90% of the time it comes from your spouse, okay? I'm just telling you that's how it goes, all right? The Holy Spirit uses my wife all the time. They gang up on me. It's rude. Okay, but that's most of the time how it works. But sometimes it's a friend, sometimes it's a leader, sometimes it's a pastor. But like when you are corrected, when someone points out a blind spot, I don't know if you know this, but a blind spot by definition is something you can't see. It's a blind spot, a spot that is blind to you. So when someone points out a blind spot, it's a gift to you. It's somebody seeing something that you don't see. And if every time someone tries to bring something to you and you fly off the handle, well, then guess what? People are just gonna be like, hey, good luck. Have fun. Deal with it yourself. I don't ever wanna be like that, ever. I wanna be able, and sometimes, if I'm honest, correction comes from people that you just wouldn't want it to come from. And that's just part of it. But can you hear the word of the Lord coming to you? Because listen, and I want you to listen to me very closely. This is important. When correction comes to you, what it means is that there's a destiny that God has for you in your future that your current character cannot bear. And so correction from God actually should give you great joy. In Romans 1, Paul says that God, um, there's a group of people and God gave them over to their fleshly desires. And that's to me is the scariest verse in the Bible, that there is a point you can get to where God says, hey, you know what? Have it your way. That terrifies me. When you're corrected, when God brings something to the surface, and it's never easy, it's, it's never easy. No one, no one wants to look at themselves and see the dark spots, spots of their heart, like that's hard. But what you can take comfort in is that what it is, is that there's a destiny for you that you can't support with who you currently are. And so God has to strengthen you, fortify you, so that you can step into the destiny he has for you. Most people don't, you don't, like when people say, I'll give you an example. 
Lord, bless my business. That sounds like the most benign, awesome prayer in the world. Who wouldn't want that? Bless my business. You know you're pr what you're praying? Lord, stress me out more. Lord, make my life harder. Lord, give me more responsibility. When you say, Lord, bless my business, that's what it looks like. A bigger business is more responsibility. It's cash flow issues, it's growing pains, it's people problems. A lot of times you, gotta, you need to recognize what you're actually asking God for. When you say, Lord, bless my business, then all of a sudden a friend comes to you and says, hey, I've noticed that you're, you're not on time a lot. Like, that's not cool, you should, you should change. And you fly off the handle. It's God answering the prayer you just prayed. You said, Lord, bless my business. And God says, okay, I gotta make you into the kind of person that can shoulder a big business. So don't get bent out of shape when someone comes to correct you when you are praying for God to do something in your life. Because almost all of it is gonna require you changing. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And lastly, point number five, overflow. King David says, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's interesting to me because um, my cup runs over. I just think that's such a compelling sentence because um, trick question, see how smart uh, my campus is. What's the capacity of a five gallon bucket? Five gallons, very good. I'm so proud of all of you. A five gallon bucket has a capacity of five gallons. If you put in 5.01 gallons, 0.01 gallons are gonna overflow out of the top because it can only hold five gallons. So what is the difference in a cup that is filled all the way to the tip top and a cup that's overflowing? And it's a trick question because there is no difference. To the cup, it still holds whatever it can hold. So why didn't King David say, and Lord, you fill my cup to the very tip top? Because it's not about you. When you're overflowing, it flows out into the lives of others around you. King David said, fill me up so much. I mean, there's only so much blessing I can handle, but God, I pray that you would dump in more so that my cup overflows, that the people around me get blessed, that people around me say, man, I just, I just like being around you because every time I'm around you, I feel peace, I feel blessed, I feel, it's because King David had an overflowing cup. It's if you just, it's not about like fill my cup up to the very tip top. If, if your life is not marked by other people around you being blessed, then you're not doing it right. You should be able to look around at your, and this sounds a little pretentious, I admit, but it should, you should be able to say, the people in my life are blessed because they know me. That's not about you. That's not, doesn't, that doesn't mean you're awesome. It means because you're an overflowing vessel. It's about how awesome God is. And you have made yourself in a position to catch the overflow. And the overflow dumps over what you can handle and spills out into those around you. Does your cup, can you say that about your life? Can you say, my cup is running over? I can, I mean it, I really can. Like I feel so like, and that's not to say there's not a hard days and we have hard days all the time. But overall, when I look at the landscape of our life, like we, look around at our, our friends, the church we get to be a part of, our kids, our marriage, all of the things. And we just say, gosh, our cup is overflowing. And so I want us to hop to our feet as we close. And I just wanna ask you, and, and what you can do is, is use these, these five things, provision, refreshment, assurance, protection, and overflow, those five things, and use them as a litmus test in your own life. 
Because if you're not experiencing those five things, and again, I'm not saying that it's, you know, 100%, all five of those all the time, and life is just, there's never a single bad day. That's, isn't there like a brand called No Bad Days? I think that's like a brand. It's like, come on. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Just setting people up for failure. There's gonna be bad days, okay? So I'm not saying that. I'm not saying the Christian life, and actually, on the contrary, the Christian life is promised to be filled with some suffering and some persecution, but he's with you. And my question for you is, when you look at those five areas, do you, you can use them as a litmus test to say, is there, is there some incongruence? Because if God is your shepherd, you will experience those five things in full measure, even in the middle of your valleys, even in the middle of your mountaintops. And so you can use these five things. Do I feel the provision of God? Do I feel refreshed? No matter what's going on, even, even when life is hard, even in a, a challenging season, is my life marked by refreshment? Do I find myself assured or am I constantly worried about what's coming down the road? What's gonna happen when I die? I'm always freaking out about the pain, the potential pain of an illness or a sickness. I'm worried about, you know, what's gonna cut it da, da. That's not congruent with the spirit of God as your shepherd. Is it a lack of overflow in your life? Do you just feel like you're having to take from other people? Like, please, I need deposits from you. I need deposits from you. And there's, listen, there's, there's times for that for sure. But if that's your pattern and that's the, the overall signature of your life, it's incongruent because God is your shepherd. He will fill your cup to overflowing if you let him. So I wanna just pray for us. And listen, I wanna um, also just give an opportunity for anybody in here. If you're not, it's a, it's a big thing to say he is my shepherd. Not our shepherd, kind of this collective, all of us kind of thing. Not the shepherd, not the good shepherd. Is he your shepherd? Personally, your shepherd. I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but I had a, a friend who said, you know, yeah, you know, Jesus is just like your, he's like your co-pilot that is just with you on the journey through life. I was like, no, he's not. That's, that doesn't make any sense. Like your Jesus is Lord. Lord, master, the, sh the shepherd that you are completely and solely dependent on for all of life. And if you can't say that about him, we wanna give you an opportunity to make him your shepherd. It's very simple. Again, I think I've said it three times, this message already, but Romans 10, nine says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, is my shepherd, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And so on your way out, if that's you and you need to, you need to make that decision, we've got an amazing team. This is um, the Renterias, two of the greatest people in our church. And they've got a, a team with them. And so if that's you, it doesn't have to be weird. It's not all you, just go, just walk up to them and say, hey, I'm, I'm, I've been coming here for a while or I'm brand new here or whatever. And whatever the pastor was talking about, I want that. That's all you have to say. And they'll walk you through a very simple prayer. They'll give you a Bible. They'll give you a little book called Following Jesus that was written by a pastor in our church. And it just breaks down what a life of faith looks like in very, very simple terms. But I wanna just take a second and pray for all of us as we, as we um, are dismissed. So let's all pray together. God, we thank you that you are our shepherd, our shepherd. And God, I pray that that reality would pierce our hearts this week, that it would change the way we view life. It would change the way we approach our businesses. It would change the way we speak to our spouses. It would change the way we parent our kids. It would change the way we view our friends and our peers. God, that it would change the way we speak about our life, our circumstances. God, I pray that it would change the way we view our circumstances, that we're not bound 
to live under an illness, to live under words spoken by a teacher, a coach, a family member, God, that you have called us to live over, that we are the head only, like we are not the, the tail, we're, we don't live under things, God, that you have called us, that we're blessed going in, blessed going out. God, I pray that the reality of you as our shepherd and Jesus, you, the good shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep, that that would, that would embolden us to live a life of courage, to live a life of purpose, to live a life of walking in an assignment and a mission because we have the good shepherd behind us, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. At the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord, that he is the shepherd. And God, we thank you that you are our shepherd. I pray that our lives would operate as if that's true. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen, amen. Wow. What an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.